Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. Thanks for downloading this episode of Being Freelance is supported by AXA Business Insurance. Because let's face it, running a business by yourself is hard. So hurrah for AXA making something easy. You can tailor your policy to fit your business, so you only pay for what you actually need. And they give you access to a legal and tax helpline there should you need it. Get cover for your work, your tools, your reputation. It feels better being protected, being freelance. Work hard, insure easy. Search AXA Business Insurance. And here's the growing up bit. AXA Insurance UK PLC is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance. For marketing and business consultant, Nadine Campbell definition to me of work-life balance is being freelance because the whole point is that you can set your time you can decide when you want to work and you decide when you want to have your free time the biggest challenges are ensuring that you can stay in work and also one of the tricky things is when you're out of work and what you do with that time there's a saying i have it's you're learning or earning so if you're not earning money you need to go outside and learn something else There are lots of challenges you need to overcome and I think it just comes with confidence and experience and then you can avoid them a bit, but you can't stop them. You'll still get challenges. Yes, so there is Nadine, her story coming up very soon indeed. Thank you for all the lovely comments about last week's episode with Momina. Uh, You can find us on social... I say us, me, at Being Freelance on Twitter and on Instagram, where hopefully in both of those places you will have seen that this week we have announced our second ever Being Freelance artist collaboration art print to celebrate another year of being freelance. Last year, it was with artist Kate Maxwell. This year, it is with previous guest of the podcast, Ashwin Chaco. His episode was brilliant and his work is brilliant. And now you can own a bit of it for your wall. It's such a fun print. It it features the famous Being Freelance mug, skateboarding with cookie friends no go go take a look (laughs) it's raising money for a good cause for unicef and their high energy biscuits which go to help starving children frankly so a very good cause a very good print and it could be on your wall very soon indeed Uh, simply go to beingfreelance.com slash shop uh, for details about that and thank you so much to ashwin for doing that and to for all the cool responses about it already okay let's crack on we're going to london for this week's guest and that is freelance marketing and business consultant nadine campbell hey nadine hi steve how are you today i'm good thank you so much for doing this as ever how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance of course so I started the digital help desk my marketing consultancy in in 2012 yeah I started basically because I wanted more variety in my work I was working perm in marketing agencies for about eight years but what I found was that I was working on the same clients for at least a couple of years each time and I was doing very similar types of work I was doing a lot of finance clients I was doing a lot of direct response And I was doing a lot of work, which I was giving to others to present. So I didn't really feel very stretched at that point. And I felt like I needed to do more and I wanted to do more. So really, the motivation to go freelance was to stretch yourself. Absolutely. So you were a freelance marketing, well, you still are, a freelance marketing (laughs) consultant. But you said the digital help desk. So you had a business name from the beginning. I had a business name from the beginning. 
And the main idea was that people would come to me with their digital marketing and I would help them deliver it. So that's how come I came up with the name. But in fairness, I don't have a website and I just have worked for 10 years. I've never really done anything other than give it a name. So how did you get your first clients when you left agency life and decided to go freelance? Well, to be honest, it starts a bit earlier than that. So I spent a lot of my earlier career networking, the old school way. So that's going to events, collecting business cards, uh, giving out my contact details and marketing myself that way. But most importantly, what I would try to do is find out what other people do. So when I found out what they would do, I would then start to categorize them and organize my contacts. So those I could collaborate with, those that were just great for networking and those that needed my services. So that's the way I initially done it. And I preferred that because it was a soft sell way of building up my network. And I did that from the beginning of my career. I didn't realize how important that would be. I don't think, I think I just enjoyed talking to people. Mm. Um, So that was how I got most of my clients. And my first client, which was a lady who worked um, for John Lewis, which I met at a wedding. So... (laughs) my best friend got married and we were all sitting around the table. I remember she said, Oh, Nadine's moved into freelancing. And the other you know, lady was like, Oh, I need somebody. And so that was how it worked. It ended up just being networking all of my other roles today, or at least for the, the, the first chunk of my career was people that I'd met and people that I'd networked with and people I told what I did. And then they came back around to me again and asked for some work. Cool. So you've met all those people, but when you went freelance, did you then reach out to them all and, tell them had you logged them all in LinkedIn or I mean we're going back 10 years so I don't know I know I had logged them all on LinkedIn (laughs) so I had logged them all LinkedIn and I also had a Rolodex with all my cards in it so usually what I would do is I would put some kind of updates about what I was doing and the work and my concept and the fact that I'd gone freelance and just reaching out to some of those people and a lot of those contacts I had early on or were in recruitment so I knew if I just told them I was available at some point they knew they would have a role and they would come back to me so that was generally how it worked. Now I'm intrigued because you said I had no website you have no website right? I don't. (laughs) Was there a point where you thought oh I should have a website but oh I'll get to it or I don't need one or like where's the thinking behind no website is what I'm wondering. Yeah great great question there is no thinking behind it. (laughs) So I just never got around to doing it. I bought the domain. (laughs) I love love it. Too busy (laughs) doing the thing. Booked and busy, as they say. (laughs) So I I just never got around to it. I bought the domain. I've still got the domain. I've got a work in progress, which has been sitting in the account for about nine years untouched with bits and pieces of work in it. But I just felt like I didn't need it. I just happen to keep speaking to people and then just keep getting work. And I'm not trying to say I had a seamless journey where I never had to try to get jobs. That's not the case. But it just so happened that LinkedIn was doing the job for me. I just thought, well, I don't need to, to create a website. And that's not necessarily for the, the other business I do, which I, I guess I can talk to you about another time during this conversation. That has a website and it has all the digital pages you can think of. But the digital help desk just doesn't have one. So it's basically su- survived off of word of mouth, meeting people in real life as well as online and LinkedIn. Yes. That's so good, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) 
But does that mean you're showing up on LinkedIn daily and doing things? Like, is there a strategy? Or is it? I would say I go on LinkedIn about four times a week. I just like to see what what's going on in the ecosystem, in or, you know, businesses and work and people that I'm connected to. So I do go on there. I, I don't think I post a lot on there. I'd post maybe once or twice a week. But I think the main thing is going into those business social platforms and seeing what's happening. Sometimes it's just commenting on other people's posts with something insightful or interesting. And then people will think, oh, if she's saying that, then she must know about marketing or she must know about business strategy. And then sometimes people would then contact me and try to connect with me as well. So, What would you say is the secret to sort of like the good old-fashioned networking in person? Because it sounds like you you must have been doing a good job. The secret, <laughs> it's not really a secret, but the big tip I would say is it's about the other person. It's not really about you telling everyone what you do. It's listening to what other people do and then categorising them to how they fit into your world. Because you can interject to things they're saying, oh, that's interesting, I did this and that, you know, and it relates to their story. And I feel like people find that way more engaging than when you do a long monologue about you and yourself. Um, It just needs to be more of a conversation, needs to be more natural. Uh, That's my secret sauce to making it work. Mm. When you first went freelance, going back to 2012, would you have called yourself a marketing consultant then? Were you like straight off the back, I'm a consultant? I did. For me at that point, I was eight years in. I'd really done a lot of cool, interesting work that had grown my experience. And I felt like if I start calling myself a consultant, that's how I'll be treated. So that's why I gave it the title. But then in a lot of my roles, I would be a business director or you know a partner or a digital manager, etc. So I think on paper, it's fine to start like that. But then you need to adjust it to what role you're doing. And now, you know, I'm 20 years in terms of experience, including perm. I'm a truly am a consultant. So I think sometimes you need to position yourself where you want to be. So would your sort of work, maybe it's changed, but would you be going in-house at a company or would you be going into an agency? Like what sort of thing were you doing? And, and and were you doing concurrent, like lots of projects all at once? Or was it I'm going to spend three months, six months or whatever with this one company? Or... I'm going to answer that back to front. <laughs> <laughs> so my projects generally run on their own because they're really intense projects that I get called in to do. Or clients that I work with are usually giant projects. So I find it's better to focus on one thing and do it excellently then try to juggle two and maybe don't do the best job you can. So in terms of the clients that I've had, it's been a mix of client side and agency side. So my first eight years, I was perm in agency world. And then naturally, just because of all the context I had, I went agency side quite a bit. Um, I've worked in almost all of the agencies, the big agencies in in London and global agencies, so not necessarily just the UK ones. But then I've also, I started my career client side. I was working for the government communications agency. That's way before I went freelance, but that was my first role. So I already had a bit of client size. And what happens in marketing is if you're agency, they kind of always keep you to agency. And if you're client side, then you can get uh, client side, but it's hard to swap between them. But um, I did a long stint with Samsung as my client. So I was sitting in the Samsung offices working directly on their project with an agency. So there's a whole different mix of the, the work that I do. 
When you're working with a company for such a long period of time, intensively on a project, how do you line up the next thing? This is a good one because <laughs> you have to line up your new project before you finish your last one. And I've been caught out on this as well. There was a period where, as much as I say this has been great and it's been 10 years, and whatnot, there are periods that you don't work. And I think one of the biggest mistakes I made kind of halfway through after having a good stint of back-to-back work was not lining up a new role when I'd left another one. So when you're getting to, I would say at a minimum, two months before you're supposed to leave, you really need to start looking for your next role and putting your um, feelers out to see what's coming up. Sometimes, you know, I do a lot of maternity covers or I have done a lot of maternity covers in the past. So people know when those roles are coming up. So if you are interjecting and speaking to these recruitment officers two months before, then that's actually a brilliant time because then they can get you in, you can do the transition, all that good stuff. You know, you don't want to leave it till to the last minute. How do you stay positive or like what do you do you know that chunk of time where you've just got no work and the work has ended and like what do you do day to day at that point you have to go and learn something there's a saying I have it's you're learning or earning so if you're not earning money you need to go outside and learn something else anytime you're not in work and you're freelancing you need to be then using that time to train, retrain yourself because it's not like a normal job where there's a training agenda for the year. Some jobs don't even have that. But at least there's a likelihood you're going to get a training agenda if you're permanently working. When you're freelancing, there is no training agenda. So it's up to you to go away and ensure that you're up to date and your skills are fresh. And even some of the courses I would be sending my interns on, I would be sitting there in the background just ensuring nothing's changed. So that's what I do in my downtime. So... 10 years of the digital help desk yeah but you mentioned another business I did so I've had three businesses in total um but I'm gonna just really talk to you about two today so the second (laughs) one (laughs) how much I would have enough time uh the second one is ace entrepreneurs so let me let me just explain so I started the digital help desk I was thinking about it for a couple of years I really wanted to do it but it's about confidence to go out and do that and then I was made redundant and then I tested the water and then I done it. Yeah. So that's that's what happened with the digital help desk in the beginning. Then with Ace Entrepreneurs, which is a entrepreneurial organization for marginalized entrepreneurs, diverse entrepreneurs, um, those that don't receive funding or need help with the business structure, support and to grow their businesses. Now, when I finished with Samsung, reluctantly because I it was my dream job I absolutely loved it my dream client but it was just really far away so I actually did leave there knowing I wanted to start something but not knowing exactly what I was going to do so I'd met a couple of women there diverse women as well and when I started talking to them I thought I don't actually know a lot of other diverse entrepreneurs and we started talking and getting to see that we had either similar problems or issues or things that we could help each other with so that was kind of the beginning of it. And then as I try and found more people similar to that, it just grew and grew and it turned into another business. So I know we're saying freelancing, but to me, there's the freelancing self-employed slash business owner. They kind of all sit in the same group. Mm. So, yeah, I started that just because I noticed that I was one of these people that would be someone that would join a someone that needed a network of other diverse entrepreneurs to be around. Um, but I couldn't find anything like that. 
So that's why I ended up doing that in 2020. And as of course, 2020 was a pandemic, you know, just trying to take a, take a month off work to relax and think about what I want to do next. And then, you know, you haven't really got time to do that because here's an, and the next thing that's happening. I don't know when I'm going to be working again. So now I have to think in terms of the consultancy work that I was doing, going in-house and sitting with companies and brands and doing the desk work with them. That isn't That wasn't necessarily possible because the UK wasn't open to do that. So I needed to pivot and find something different to do, which is along the lines of things I've been thinking about. So that's why I started Ace Entrepreneurs. And yeah, it's kind of like the digital help desk in the beginning when I'm doing services, you know, short term services for people. And now again, it's growing into those, those people that have joined as members and now become clients in some cases when they need to grow or support or diversify their business. And now I'm working with one client that's literally just got off the phone. So they've got another project for me. I see. So you left Samsung just before the pandemic, did you? <laughs> just, I can't believe the timing. So yeah, I literally was like, oh, I'm going to have a, you know, Christmas 20th of December. Yeah. I was like, guys, this has to be my last day now. Because I was only supposed to be there for, um, I was supposed to work with them for about a year. And then it ended up being longer. But the travel with a young child was proving a bit difficult. Otherwise, I'd probably still be working with them now. Um, yeah, so that was the last day that I worked with Samsung. And then, you know, two months, not even two months later, I think it was a month, the end of January was the pandemic beginning, really. So, so <laughs> if we look at your LinkedIn, which I have to, because you didn't have a website. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Ace Entrepreneurs starts in March 2020. So you create a membership for diverse entrepreneurs. So was that a paid membership from the off? As in you, you thought, yeah, okay, this is going to be my my business, what I'm going to do. So no, what happened was it. I wanted to give back because I felt like my career was going great. I was earning enough that I was happy with. So I didn't feel the need to then take a marginalised community and make that my sole income. So the membership is free. On there, you've got sort of the A to Z in some cases of starting up a new company. Everything that I've learned, so the mistakes I've made from the financial side of things and all of those kind of experiences I've now distilled into giving people the best advice to start up in the best way. So it's free free to join. And then if you want to take on services or you want to have more of a premium membership, then there's a cost that comes with that. Is it just you running that? Kind of. So I have an investment partner, which is a long-term friend of mine from 10 years ago. Um, we've known each other 10 years, should I say. And so he helps me with the investment side of things because we have an, a micro-investment fund, which we, we try to help support a couple of diverse entrepreneurs a year so he's as part of the business I've had uh, four interns which has been really excellent because I've taken them on and now they've gone on to full-time roles four of them and then I also have had a kickstarter or two kickstarters uh, come and work with me this year for six months as well so throughout the time I've been doing the bulk of it myself obviously leading the company but then I'm fortunate enough to have found and been referred to um, with many people that come along and help me to sort of get things along. But I also do a lot of outsourcing. So some of the content as well, I outsource that so they can do the bulk of it. And then I finish it, finish it off to ensure it's on brand and it's saying what I need to say. Because 
to me, it's all about freelancers and it's all about outsourcing. It's not about doing everything yourself because that doesn't, you know, for work-life balance, that doesn't work. Cool. I, I should probably say Kickstarter in this instance isn't anything to do with crowdfunding. There was a scheme for a while in the UK, in fact, I nearly did it, where Kickstarters were kind of like government-funded apprentices, that kind of thing. Um, and so you create this as a way of giving back. You've seen a need for it. Yeah. But also it coincides with the pandemic. So did you then go and get more freelance consulting work, as in back with the digital help desk? The, the two things run side by side. Steve, it's like you know me. <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. So one powers the other. And actually they're coming together now to more than likely be one thing. So everything I've learned through having the digital help desk has fueled a lot of the work that I've done at ACE. All of my career work and things I've seen in marketing and business consultancy means I've got the insight to advise people via ACE. And also for me to power ACE and run ACE. So for example, right now I'm off work, as I call it, which means I don't have a consultancy client, but I have been working for the last 15 months. So I've been working with a Sky Group, um, for the last 15 months, we just launched Sky Showtime in seven different Nordic countries. Uh, and once that was sort of out of the way, then that project ends and it means I can go back to ACE full time and do more work there. But I think without the digital help desk, it would be extremely difficult to fund ACE. I probably wouldn't be able to do it. Obviously, at the moment, you've switched from one to the other. But as they run together, how do you find juggling the desire to work on both? So there has to be a sacrifice, I think, because I have a child as well. And I think doing all three isn't really possible to do all three because you run out of time. Mm. So typically what happens is, and what's worked nicely to date, is that when I've had the interns, I've been working elsewhere. So then I have my particular three times a week where I meet up with my team and we go over the work for the week and then I have my check-in and I manage to work it around my consultancy work. Um, so, so typically when I'm doing both ACE and I have a client, that's how I do it. Um, and then times like now where I don't have a client, I also don't have a any employees at the company. So that's kind of the way I juggle it. I try just to stick to two things, like my son being one and another major work stream being the other and not all three you just end up burning yourself out. You end up doing late nights and not enough sleep and all the rest of those things. So Yeah. I was asking as much for myself doing this. Yes. <laughs> a similar thing. What's her secret? Um, yeah. No, that's great. Uh, you mentioned your child. In fact, you mentioned work-life balance. How do you find work-life balance? And maybe it's changed over those 10 years. It has. I think uh, half of it, the first five years, I was not, well, I don't have a child. That makes it simple. The definition to me of work-life balance is being freelance because the whole point is that you can set the time, you can decide when you want to work, you can decide when you want to have your free time. And once you know how much time you have to work, you can plan your, you know, you can plan things out very well. So the first five years, as well as wanting to stretch myself, I wanted to travel. I love traveling. Um, at some point in the early years, I was on three holidays a year. I managed to wait, make it work for me. Now, it wasn't like big two-week holidays, but I was, you know, doing city breaks and things like that. So in the beginning, it was about choosing my own holidays, choosing my own clients, who I work for, and really just being young and having fun. 
That was the first five years. And then the second five years is now about being able to spend time with my child as well as do work. And it's all the other same attributes I mentioned, but the opposite of having fun. It's not, it's not that having a kid isn't having fun. It's not the opposite, but just slightly different is now you have a child and they have to work around that. And if I look at my days now, I tell everyone I can do meetings until three. So after three, I don't do any meetings because now I have to go and get my son and then, you know, we spend our quality time together. So that's the difference between the beginning of my uh, career and now. It's just between, it's still deciding what you want to do with your free time, but now it's all around a child. Okay, back with Nadine very soon indeed. But I just want to let you know that this season of the Being Freelance podcast is also supported by Ipsy, I-P-S-E. Right here in the UK, they support freelancers. They lobby government on our behalf. But they also have loads of other benefits. Advice hubs so that you can learn, events, forums and actual benefits like illness and injury cover, jury service cover. They also put on an annual freelancer awards event. In fact, I won that. When was it? Well, actually, never. That's not true. I didn't win it. I was shortlisted. Uh, what does it say? Finalist 2016. It's sitting on the shelf behind me still. That was so much fun. I still collaborate and have friendships from that very first event that I went to in 2016. And funnily enough, I noticed that Nadine, as in this week's guest, is up for an award with Ace Entrepreneurs and maybe as a freelancer herself at this year's award. So congratulations to her. Anyway, it's just one of the many things they do. If you are freelancer and in the UK, I certainly recommend you check them out for yourself and decide if you'd like to be a member. Go on, I might see you at the next event. It's ipse.co.uk. They're called Ipsy. Okay, back to Nadine's story. So I love that, obviously, entrepreneur entrepreneur i can never get this <laughs> entrepreneurialism that's yes. not even a word it's not i like it <laughs> <laughs> that side of it feels like perhaps it's instinctive for you is that fair to say as if maybe you enjoy running a business because some of us like we want to do the thing and then oh okay if i must i run a business but it sounds like maybe you really enjoy that i do i think i love it if i'm honest I think everybody, you can feel it. I think it's about being able to shape what you're doing because when you are working for others, you are somewhat following the guidelines that have been set out, you know? Whereas when you are running your own business or when you're being entrepreneurial for yourself or for others, then it becomes, this is what I think, this is what I recommend, etc. So I like that side of things. I very much enjoy starting projects and seeing them to the end. And I think that is an entrepreneurial thing. You know, you want to create something that's amazing and then it lives on beyond you. And I think that in terms of some of the work I do, especially the work at Samsung, just being the latest thing I can think of, what I set out for them becomes a blueprint of what they do going forwards. And that feels very entrepreneurial, even though you're working for a client and doing client work, but you're actually setting up a project and something that's going to live on beyond you so when I do the work I do for ACE for example I can see how important it is I can also see there's a gap for it so you have to I think you have to have that mindset of how to fill that gap that's useful for people and a great resource for people that they will come back to to be really truly an entrepreneur but also for times when you don't have client work what do you do 
So when when my son was five months, and I'm just a career person, so that I couldn't help myself, I was like, let me start a business. This is a great idea. What what will I do during the one hour nap times? I know. <laughs> Let's start an e-commerce business. Yeah. So you know, I just I think I can't help myself, and I think that just becomes a part of you and. It's hard to become an entrepreneur if you don't understand how hard it's going to be, but that also you understand how great the rewards are going to be. It's very hard to do that. It's hard to be an entrepreneur. And I think that's where a lot of people fall down. Did you actually start an e-commerce business? I did. What was that? So it was called Mummy Kits. Yeah. It was a baby hamper, basically, like an essential kit to take with into hospital. But yeah, I did. At five months, I started Mummy Kits. And the only reason I didn't continue running it is because I had Ace and the digital help desk too. And it was a bit too much for me. That must be quite tough to, to let that go. It, it? it is. I kind of still want to do it. Uh, I'd like to do it again in the future. But I think you do. You have to make choices about how you want to live your life. And I don't think at this point I want every moment to be working. Yeah. And also the fact that you've taken part of that time that you have available to give back to help other entrepreneurs diverse entrepreneurs you could have kept running that and you're like no I've only got so much energy I'll go and do this yeah I you know what it it fits in better to my current experience so I'm taking everything I've already got in terms of written down and concepts and ways of working and everything from the work I've done with the digital help desk and my marketing career fits in much more easily to ace entrepreneurs. Whereas mummy kit is something completely separate. You know, it's a physical business. Um, it's e-commerce. So you have to go and learn the, the ways with the algorithms and everything as that side of being a business, you know, direct to customer business owner. Whereas with the marketing stuff, I've got a lot of collateral. I've got loads of experience. A lot of that stuff is I've already got it. It's just creating it and putting it onto ACE in a more simplified fashion. So those two work together and it means I'm more efficient with my time. And so when it comes to ACE entrepreneurs, which you said does have a website, <laughs> how do people find you from that? Because obviously some of that you said has also led on to marketing consulting work like how how are people finding out about ace entrepreneurs beyond the first few people that you met so i created ace during the pandemic as well so i think everybody was online at that period of time and the way that i found these diverse businesses was actually through facebook surprisingly but facebook has ginormous groups and some really specific groups that you can tap into and easily find your target audience so Facebook is actually where I find most of the businesses using similar methods. So either commenting on things that I'm seeing on there or posting my own collateral and content so that people come to me or I go to them. But actually, that's how I found them. And then also, I did the Black Business Show last year. And that was one of my most successful days in terms of meeting with new clients I basically spent nine hours talking to people I didn't even take a lunch some random lady brought me a coffee because she'd been observing me she was like you haven't <laughs> left a stand like please just drink a coffee or something so that was fantastic I think ace is very much about you need to go to where the people are and both of those are really successful in terms of finding people and then I also use Instagram as my main communication so while I'm on Facebook looking for the businesses, I actually do a lot of my content on Instagram because it fits the target demographic. You can visually say what you want to say without getting lost in a sea of 
information on Facebook. And I wanted to add that as much as I use LinkedIn in the earlier years, I think actually funnily enough, when I was working with Samsung again, that was when I was first introduced to You Know Juno. And I managed to navigate it fine in the beginning. I hadn't really heard of the platform. I didn't really know how it worked. I was quite lucky that a lady from You Know Juno came into office a couple of times and then we figured out how to make it work. Uh, and then ever since then, a lot of companies now use You Know Junior, Juno for a seamless way of paying the freelancers. It's actually very good. You get paid on a good frequency. You get your contract through there. And also there are roles that come up on you know Juno which you can then apply for I have applied for a couple of roles and with some new client work for you know Juno but usually what's happened is I am in a contract already and that contract is via you know Juno so I do keep my eye out to see what's on there in fact this week I'll probably go on and have a look what roles they have coming up and clients that are looking for somebody so you know Juno is how would you describe that as a platform I would describe it as initially a, a, a payment facilitation platform. So it ensures that companies can pay freelancers more seamlessly because I was around in the world before you know Juno and it was a bit of a nightmare, if I'm honest. It was hard to get paid. It was to get paid on time. You had to be quite strict and strong with your clients to ensure they pay you the proper terms and those kind of things. Whereas now you know Juno does that for you. So the client goes into contract with them. And then they need to ensure that you they stick to those payment terms. It's really going from strength to strength. And now they have lots of different ways for you to interact. So it's not just a case that you can get paid that way. You can find jobs that way. You can refer people. You can add on other freelancers. There's lots of really good things you can do on there. Everyone that's on there has a profile. So you can say if you're open to work or not. It's a bit like LinkedIn without all of the chatter, you know, without all of the... <laughs> That that should be their strap line. <laughs> it's basically you can go on there. You put your profile. You you put your rate on there. You give a little bio. You can connect the companies that you've worked with to confirm that you've worked in those roles, um, and then you can put a bit of feedback for the clients as well, and they can do the same for you, I believe. So when the roles come, I think there's a there's a process that they see the roles that match your experience, and then they'll come up in your dashboard, and you can then apply for those roles via you know Juno in the in the user interface and then they can speak to you like that and then if you're successful then you get the payment so it's kind of like an end-to-end thing so hang on let me just check though have we reached not the end of the story clearly the story is completely always being written but yeah. have we reached today in terms of the way you're sort of living your life and running your freelance business we've almost reached today I can tell you that the, the biggest thing, I think we touched on it quite quickly, and the biggest and the most exciting thing is through a chance meeting, um, I've met the company that I'm currently working with. Just sort of started with one service and now it's going on and on. Like I said, I just had a phone call with them about another thing that they're doing and I'm getting more involved with this business. So the really exciting thing now is that when I first started freelancing, in the first couple of years, I wanted to have a consultancy. And there was this company called, I think they're called Blurb, and they would have different client briefs that would come out, a bit like you know Juno, but without the financial bit. So they would just be like, here's clients that have some briefs, can you answer it? And I could answer some of the stuff, but then I was like, you know what, I want a group of people around me so we can do it together. And I never really got to that. 
never really did it. I just ended up doing kind of things myself. But now what's happening is I'm building a bit of a team to work on this client. So we kind of come full circle a little bit because the marketing services I do with the digital help desk, I now need them to fulfill this client I have now. And the way I see my future being, this is the first client of many clients. So you're saying that basically, as a consultant, it was always you as one person working with a client, but you've now come across a client where actually they need more than you can give by yourself, but you're thinking, no, I can hire other people. And so it's almost like a mini agency, like you're bringing on the people to fulfill that role. And then you can also work with other people at the same time. Is that right? That's just it. But also that is part of the digital help desk. It's just an evolution of a digital help desk, right? That's exactly it. Okay, I tell you what, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie. Let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? Okay. Number one, I've partied and drunk champagne with (laughs) Jay-Z. Number two, I've partnered with Idris Elba. Number three, I've sparred with Anthony Joshua. Oh, wow. Only one of these is a lie? Okay. <laughs> when did you party with Jay-Z? I mean, obviously we've all done it, but when did you do it? <laughs> so, yeah, in the 90s, um, just being out and about and young and fun in London. And just, yeah, we happened to be in the same place with Jay-Z and then happened to begin partying. And then uh, they were showing us their new champagne they were coming out with. And we were tasting the champagne and partying with Jay-Z. And, yeah. It was a brilliant time. Um, okay. Sorry, you've partnered with Idris Elba, did you say? That's right. So when I was working with Britvic, we launched a drink. And for that drink, we had a partnership with Idris Elba. So as someone that was leading that activity, it was only right that I was front and centre with Idris, ensuring the partnership went smoothly And we did an amazing campaign um, called Thrive, where we would showcase all the amazing energy that Idris had. And yeah, he's really super, super nice. Um, He's always like, I just flew back from Ibiza. He's just doing a set at, you know, cream or whatever, (laughs) space or something. And yeah, really cool. Hmm. Okay. And then finally, you were sparring with Anthony Joshua. Yes. Just in case, I mean, I'm not a big sporty person, but even I've heard of Anthony Joshua. So like a world champion level boxer. That's right. Two world champion boxers. So again, I had Under Armour as a client <laughs> and Under Armour was represented by Anthony Joshua. We needed, we had to go down to the gym, obviously. We had to go down there just to ensure that we were getting the shoot right and the campaign was going right. And, you know, I had done some kickboxing in in the in my past and I love boxing. And, you know, I got invited to go into the ring just to do a bit of sparring. And it was honestly one of the most amazing things ever. Angie Joshua, like Idris, is so incredibly nice. And obviously he didn't, you know, we were just pretending it wasn't real boxing. But yeah, it's amazing. <sighs> This is so tricky. These are all very believable. The brilliant thing about the latter two stories is that because you work in marketing, you could literally say anything about any product and any celebrity, and it could be true. So the one which wasn't really about that was Jay-Z. So I can't decide whether that's because that's the lie or obviously that one sticks out. 
But then you could have just made up a third story of another celebrity who was, I don't know, selling ladders and... Oh, I don't know. I mean, Idris Elba as well. You said Britvic, but I know you've done stuff for Sky. He does adverts for Sky. Mm. So you chose Britvic. So that sounds like that's probably true. <laughs> Anthony Josh, I mean, that could be, I don't know. Je- mm. Okay, no, I know. I know. Jay-Z. Oh. Jay-Z's the lie. Are you sure? Yeah. Jay-Z's the lie. Jay-Z is not the lie. Jay-Z's not the line. Wow, that's that's cool. That's cool, but that story's true. Okay, in that case, um, Idris Elba had nothing to do with Britvic. I did work with Idris Elba (gasps) for Thrive. (laughs) Unbelievable. Wow. So Anthony Joshua's the lie. Anthony Joshua is what I would wish had happened. (laughs) That's the lie. I think, of course, that's what you wish would happen. I should have thought about dreams as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> although I, you could you could also say the same thing about Jay-Z. It works the same way. Wow. Cool story, Jay-Z. Wow. Okay. Um, Nadine, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Mm, good question. I took two years to start. I took two years of thinking about it. You know, obviously you're busy with other stuff, but I wish I'd started sooner. So I would say to myself, just try it out. What's the worst that can happen? Nothing. You just go back to perm work again. So be confident. Listen to what your intuition is telling you. Uh, Nice. It sounds like everything's gone pretty swimmingly. It sounds great. Is there anything that you've found hard in being freelance? Firstly, I'll say... I am a positive glass half full type of person. So if you ask me something, I'm going to give you the the most positive answer. However, it doesn't mean it's all been swimmingly. You know, I've had periods of not working. So that to me, that's the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge is when you aren't organized enough. Like I mentioned very, very briefly earlier, Mm. when I left a job and did not line up the next one, and then I was off for a long time. And it wasn't a pandemic or anything like that. I just didn't line up things properly and I missed a lot of windows and I ended up out of work for a long period of time. And it was quite nerve wracking because I was trying to um, buy a house. So it it had a big impact. And also not working has been a big impact and not having any money. So they are the biggest they are the biggest things I think you need to look out for. I wish I'd looked out for is to ensure that I don't think it's going so great that I don't need to look for a job first because you you really never know what's coming around the corner. And it's very similarly with um, 2020, even though that was a bit different because I was going to start a business, but I think given the choice, I probably would have stayed there for, stayed there longer and then I could have been able to do my business alongside. So I think one of the, one of the things, the biggest challenges are ensuring that you can stay in work and also one of the tricky things is when you're out of work and what you do with that time. Uh, on top of that, I would say in the beginning, financially, in terms of setting up a business and you know getting all of my finances in the right way, that was also, I made a lot of mistakes there. So I'd be using one account to do business stuff and personal stuff. And the first year I did my accounts, it was a nightmare. It took me basically hours and hours and hours and hours to sift through receipts and bank statements and try and figure out where I spent my money on which bit was business and which bit was personal. So 
these are all the things that happen in the background that you might not necessarily see. And it might sound like it's going swimming, <laughs> but, you know, I've had a lot of bumps in the road. I've had, you know, periods of time where I feel like I should be at a higher level when I'm not. In terms of financially being remunerated, I feel like that's been better. I've managed to get myself in a good position there. But in terms of some of the roles, I think I should have been doing bigger roles and wasn't necessarily doing that because the remuneration was fine. So there are lots of challenges you need to overcome. And I think it just comes with confidence and experience. And then you can avoid them a bit, but you can't stop them. You'll still get challenges. Nadine, thank you so much. Uh, It's been great to talk to you. Go to beingfreelance.com. There's links through, of course, as there are for all of our guests so you can find Nadine online. Uh, You can find Ace Entrepreneurs, which sounds really interesting as well. And by the sounds of it, you should probably connect with Nadine and say that you enjoyed this on LinkedIn because that's where you're going to find her. Um, Right. So all of that are being freelance.com. And if you're a freelance parent like myself, like Nadine, then also check out the other podcast I do. It's called Doing It For The Kids with Frankie from the Doing It For The Kids community. Since you've got your podcast app open, why not go search for that? Listen to that next. Uh, But Nadine, thanks so much and all the best being freelance. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed today's interview. I feel like I'm chatting with a friend. Yeah, there's Nadine. Hope you enjoyed that. Loads more guests. Remember, it doesn't matter what they do for a living. It's all about being freelance. Do check them out at beingfreelance.com. And I checked, by the way, Nadine is up for an individual award uh, for Outstanding Freelancer Award and also for Freelancer Community Award for Ace Entrepreneurs, which we talked about a lot there. So, yeah, good luck, Nadine. And everybody else, it's nice to see so many faces that I recognise up for awards. That's on the 23rd of November, 2022. Um, okay we're done for another week Uh, don't forget if you're new to being freelance there is a course for you that gives you everything you need to get started you can find that at beingfreelance.com click on the word course and i will see you in the community very soon indeed and for another one of these next week have a great week being freelance (laughs) 